You're listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Ian Tullock and Anthony Petrielli. Leaf Hot Stove Podcast. My name's Ian Tullock, and I'm here with Anthony Petrielli. Anthony, we got the trade we were asking for. We have the emergency pod coming out. It's not the Taylor Hall emergency pod that I wanted, but I think this was number two on everyone's list. This is the Nick Foligno hour. What are your initial thoughts? I know this is uh, the big news of the day. Well, well, apparently Nick Foligno is actually number one on the Toronto Maple Leafs list. I don't know about everybody else, but definitely on the Leafs because they they paid a price that I'm I would like to think probably could have got them Taylor Hall as well, uh, but they decided to go with Nick Foligno. You know, in a vacuum, I like what Foligno brings to the team. They are in a go for it year. I know the quote gets thrown out all the time from Daryl Morey, where he's essentially said, and he's used to be the general manager of the Houston Rockets. And now he's the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA. If you have even a 5% chance to win a championship, like you have to go for it. And the Leafs, they have that opportunity that they should have no real fear of any team in this division. They have a very clear path to the final four. And once you get there, anything can happen. Yeah, the 5% theory, that's one of my favorite Zach Lowe articles, uh, basketball article. Again, the theory is that if you have a 5% chance or greater of winning a championship, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your fan base, you owe it to everyone to actually go for it, to pony up the assets, to maximize your team's chances of winning, and really try to win a championship. And the Leafs are in that position right now. The latest uh, cup projections, I think on Dom Lestrigian's model has more around 10%. So that qualifies them for this 5% theory. It is time for them to go for it. Much like we've been discussing this year with the Canadian division, they're never going to have an easier path to get into a cup final. So this is why a lot of fans wanted them to pony up the assets to really go for it. The player they're bringing in, I have to be honest, I'm a bit disappointed that it's not Taylor Hall and we'll discuss in length what Nick Foligno provides to this team. And it's very different from what Taylor Hall would have provided. The overall trade, it is a first and two fourth round picks for Nick Foligno and let's face it, an AHL player. I'm not going to bother getting into the Stefan Nosen or Noison. I don't want to mispronounce his name. I've already done it. Uh, this is the Nick Foligno trade. They ponied up assets to get Columbus to retain a bit of salary. San Jose came in and retained a bit of salary. So I think that's why the fourth round picks were over there to help get the cost down. A first for Felino, that's a big time price tag for a guy who doesn't provide you with much of any offense. But we brought his name up here before. He's an elite defensive player at five on five. Someone you can trust against the other team's best players. That's definitely a guy that you like to have on your roster. It's a guy that when you're holding on to a one goal lead in the third period, He's someone that you're going to want out there on the ice. My question to you is, do you see him as a better fit on that Tavares Nylander line? Or do you think you're going to see him on that third line with the Mikheyev Engvall? Well, I'd actually hope that they would try him on all three lines at like one point or another, right? So we just saw Alex Gauchinyak play with Matthews and, and Marner, and he looked good there. I don't think there's any reason to not at least give Felino a look there just to see what happens. Cause we've seen Zach Hyman be effective in that role and, uh, to some degree, prime Zach Hyman right now is kind of similar to prime Nick Felino way back when. Although kind of shocking, Nick Felino. Unfortunately, prime season. Nick Felino was like five yeah. years ago. How long yeah, ago was that but, though? Because that, that was a long 2014, time. 2014, 2015. But like he had 73 points in a season, yeah. like a 31 goal, like banger of a season. So 
He's very far removed from that. that offensively, though. When was the yeah. last time he produced at that rate? He's he, more of a half point per game type of player the last few years. I think the interest for me with him on that line would be is he could protect Matthews and Marner defensively. And not that they need to be protected, but he could be like, I'll mop up duty back here a little bit and allow you guys to maybe move up the ice a little bit more than you otherwise would because you're focused on that like full 200 foot game, rightfully so. But with, you know, Felino there, you know, Hyman kind of does the same thing. Like I will like muck it up on the boards and, and play that kind of role. He could do that. He can, he could play on the Tavares Nylander line. And that would be a true, like, I will cover for you guys go play offense. Or he I can also just wonder be a legitimate maybe, checker. What if you have Felino in your top six, you have Galchenyuk in your top six, and then that gives you some freedom to play Hyman on that third line where they've absolutely dominated. We, we talk about expected goals a lot in this podcast. Their third line was north of 60% expected goals. I think they were maybe around 65% with Hyman, Mikheyev, Engvall. I love those trio of players, and my ideal Leafs lineup construction is finding a way to get Hyman on that third line because if you can have a dominant third line, and a Tavares Nylander line and a Matthews Marner line that are clicking, that's a championship recipe, I think. But in order to do that, you need to have players that you trust in those top six minutes. Nick Felino defensively is someone I trust in those minutes. Offensively, I'm concerned that there's going to be an opportunity cost to having him there, that there are going to be a lot of chances that end up on his stick. And is he going to be able to convert on those chances? Because he's never really been... I mean, I know you said that he, was that, he had that 73-point season a while back. But if we look at recent history, offensive production has been a concern for him. Do you think playing him that high in the lineup alongside talented line mates is going to help him produce a bit better than he has in recent years? Or do you think it's still going to be an area of concern? I think he has a little bit of room to go up. But honestly, even if he doesn't produce that much, even if he continues to roughly produce at the rate that he is, it's kind of like Galchenyuk, right? Like Galchenyuk is not super productive right now in the top six. He only has what six points in 11 games. And two of those were literally last night against Ottawa because he was with Matthews and Marner. It's not like he's been super productive, but he's been a good player that can actually play along those side alongside top level players. Unlike, you know, the Jimmy VCs are like really old Wayne Simmons of the world that they were trying before. When you see a three on two going up the ice with those guys with the puck. If they pass it to Galchenyuk, he can make the next play, get over the blue line, make the next pass. That's something that has Felino a lot of do value. Cause do you think so? Cause I'm, I'm worried yeah. about his passing. I'm worried about his kind of, once you cross the blue line and you're trying to break down the defense, is he someone that they're just not going to respect and you're going to lose some of the spacing in that regard? I think if I think he'll make the play if it's there. I I like if they pass it to Wayne Simmons, I I think he loses the puck, right? Like I and that's I the biggest concern with having him on PP one. Yeah. It's kind of why I like seeing Zach Hyman on PP one the other night instead of Simmons because when pucks are dying on your stick, you don't want to be put into too many situations where you have the puck. You brought up you brought up the point though, and this was definitely something I was going to get to. Zach Hyman's better on the right side. Like honestly. Yeah, if anyone's paid any little bit of attention, I think it's actually really hard to argue. And he's like most players, they're better on their strong side. And the acquisition of Felino gives them the option to go to that if they want, right? That third line, and then you can plug in Felino. And then to an extent, of course, the the actual addition of Galchniuk, which is huge for this, right? So maybe whereas before they might have been like, 
you know, we need a little bit more offensive punch and flair. We're interested in Taylor Hall. Maybe now they feel a little bit more comfortable. They're like, you know what? We do have a little bit more offensive punch and flair with what Galchenyuk's providing us. Let's just look for a really solid winger beyond that. That gives us the versatility. They, they have all sorts of fun combinations that they could try with their top nine, really their, their forward group as a whole. Whereas I think with Taylor Hall, he's a little bit more of like, he's an offensive playmaking winger, essentially at this point, he has two goals this year. Like we're going to talk about finishing, like Taylor Hall's not finishing. And I know okay, that his percentages are ridiculous. Percentage. I think he should have they, seven more goals. If you look at expected versus actual goals. How many goals does Nick Felino have this year? So this is the Nick Felino is a better offensive player than Taylor no. Hall portion of the podcast. Okay. I'm, I'm glad. No, he's definitely here. not a better, but if we're going to talk about like guys finishing and guys scoring, like Nick Felino has seven goals in reality. Okay. But let's talk right? about and skill like and the fact that Taylor Columbus. Hall, Taylor Hall leads the league in high danger passes this year. That's a list that McDavid and Dreisaitl and high end players are on and Taylor Hall's connecting on high level passes they aren't going in, but you would have, if you play them with elite talent, they would have gone in. I, I'm obviously frustrated here because you can tell I wanted Taylor Hall. He was the guy at the top of my list. I just think that if you're ponying up assets, a first round pick, two fourths, and you're getting a guy that is a defensive specialist who tops out as what, a 40 point player in an 82 game season, more or less, it just is like a really high acquisition cost for a player that even though I like him and I think that he provides value in, in certain areas that the Leafs are lacking great toughness, that playoff tenacity. He's a captain. He's a leader in the room. I always get worried when people bring up these aspects of a player and can we first get to, is he good with Nick Felino? He's good defensively. He's very good defensively. I'm just thinking in terms of 200 foot value, does he give you what a Taylor Hall would have? It's obviously very different. Nick Felino, you're probably going to use more in matchup situations, defensively holding leads PK, I think, is super overvalued when we're That's talking what the about Nick is, though. When you're talking about matchups and like lining up against other teams and defense, like I don't think Taylor Hall gives you any of that stuff. Like if he's not clicking on the top two lines, like you're not getting like like he's a weird fit on the third line. That's not the reason. You, like I could see why they're thinking, okay, this is a bit more of a seamless fit. Like he's not really going to go zero for three, whereas Hall kind of like. He hasn't been like lights out uh, for a few years now, really. See, I don't know. I just, I've always been on the side of acquire the best talent available. When you look at Tampa Bay acquiring a Kevin Shattenkirk when he's there, a Blake Coleman when he's there, Vegas in years past have always gone for the best players available. I know the Leafs think that this is the player that best suits their needs. Just is not the best player available. He's but, good, but, but that's a Blake lot Coleman to give the best up player for a available? good player. Taylor Hall was traded at last, like last season. They didn't acquire Taylor point. Hall, literally the exact player you're talking about. They didn't acquire him. So you can't say Blake Coleman was the best player. Blake Coleman was a really good fit. Kind of what we're saying about Nick Felino. Okay. So sell me on Nick Felino. Sell me on Nick Felino being the perfect fit for this Toronto roster and being the guy that you give up big time assets, a first and two fourths to acquire the deadline. So I'll say a few things about this. First of all, I don't think Taylor Hall was like the perfect, perfect fit. Like Taylor Hall five years ago was like the perfect, perfect fit. Yeah, but MVP Taylor Hall, Taylor Hall, great fit. Yeah, yeah, right? Same thing. So I'm not going to say he's the perfect fit, but I think he's a really, really good fit. And I totally get why they wanted him. 
And I think it makes complete sense what they're doing here. He's versatile. Like they could play him all up all around the lineup. He could play the left or the right side. He could play any special teams unit they want him to. They could use him to close out games. I look at him like, and these are like very minimal, but like extremely high leverage situations. Like that guy is a way better fit to close out games than uh, like Alex Kerfoot, who they use regularly. Like somehow last night, Wayne Simmons and uh, Alexander Barabanov were on with under three minutes left, which was Barabanov made a half decent play there. Stunning. I jotted it down. I was like, "Hey, he got the puck out. That's nice." That's he also, new. he also, I forget who did it, but somebody sauced a pass like right over his stick to like the far side D man who walked in and and had a shot, and like Barabanov's like feet were like touching the blue line. I was like, "This guy's no clue where to stand or what to do." Grading Barabanov so I, I think on a situationally is 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 <laughs> I don't want to talk about Barabanov. Let's get back to yeah. Felino. So situationally, I think he just provides them a ton of value in the lineup. He provides them a ton of versatility with how they're going to use him. Whereas I think no matter what, they would have had to have pushed Taylor Hall onto one of the top two lines. I don't think you have to do that with Felino. I do think that's something that they valued. They could sit there and say, we're going to put Hyman on the third line and we're really going to like our depth one through nine, or we're going to keep Hyman wherever we want. And Taylor Hall, we're not going to have this sort of like debate and argument of pushing him off for Taylor Hall. Felino will just kind of fit with whoever they play him with and in whatever role they want him to. And they've really, over the, the years, I don't necessarily know if the Leafs have lacked talent in their playoff matchups compared to who they were playing against. Even peak Boston, I thought the Leafs were pretty close talent-wise because they had so many really good players. But what they really lacked, to be honest, was like matching up um, any sort of lineup versatility. Like they, they had no options, essentially. It was just like, this is our team and like we don't really have anything that we can like move around or play with whereas this year i look at their roster and it's full it's full of options which they can like create new lines um we know and again this isn't a a thing about taylor hall at this point because it would have helped too but like we just saw like william nylander gets hurt i didn't really love their line combinations coming out of that Right, like Bear Banoff. Yeah, everyone talked about nine. a top four defenseman gets injured and you're in trouble, but a top four forward gets injured and you're also in big time trouble. In fact, yeah. I'd argue you're in more trouble if a forward gets hurt than if a defenseman gets hurt. I I think they're in trouble if a centerman gets hurt. Like if one of the oh, two yeah. big boys gets hurt, and they haven't used Nylander at center at all this year, which I've been super disappointed with. Like they they've moved Kerfoot to second line center a number of games when. Uh, you know, one of the guys has been down up top, which really just Matthews this year. I don't know why they haven't done that. So yeah, you're right. If the, if it gets game five PTSD from throwing William Nylander 100%. out there in a do or die playoff game, it didn't go well. And I think maybe they're afraid of ever doing it again. But what's weird, Nylander is he's had success at the center position in a bunch of different leagues. He's done at the NHL yeah. level. He's dr- you'd prefer to shelter him if he's playing center because of some of the defensive responsibilities of the position. But I also think that Nylander's done a pretty good job to improve the defensive side of his game, as particularly in the neutral zone. I know that in the defensive zone, it's a bit of a separate issue when you're talking about centers low in the play, making sure that they're not getting lost in D-zone coverage. But I, I agree with you. I would have liked to see the Leafs try a few more options. I mean, if we're talking about the Leafs t- testing out a few more things, 
We never got to see what Muzzin Brody and Riley Hall would have looked like. I get that Riley yep. Brody's working and Muzzin Hall's working, but when you have a full season to test some things out, I always get frustrated when you kind of leave options on the table that you don't know when you get to a playoffs. Wait, can we throw this look out, throw this line, throw this pairing out? If you don't have the answer to that question, I think you've failed yourself in the middle of the regular season. It's part of the reason I really like Hyman on the third line. It's a different look. It's just testing the idea of, wait, if we spread the talent out through our lineup a little bit more, would this maximize our team results? Even if it means individual players maybe don't have the best production that we're looking for. And I, I think if we're talking about Nick Felino, I'd imagine that's why they preferred him to Taylor Hall. If I'm Kyle Dubas or Brendan Shanahan, I'm in the room and I'm deciding which of those guys I'm going to trade for. The pros and the cons here that I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going, okay, Taylor Hall gives me more talent, gives me more offensive upside. I can run a top six of a, either a Hall Matthews Marner or a Hall Tavares Nylander. That sounds really cool to me. And then maybe I'm on my third line or maybe Hyman on that other top six line. With Felino, I'm getting more defensive value. I'm getting someone who gives me another option on the PK, which, by the way, whenever people bring up a guy that you're trading for and he's going to help out your PK, I always think that aspect of things is super overrated. I know when the least traded for Brian Boyle to be a PK specialist, I'm just thinking, yeah, I like Brian Boyle. He's a good player at five and five, defensively responsible, but he's not that great on the penalty kill. And Nick Felino, even though I think he's a great defensive player, I don't think he's an elite penalty killer by any stretch of the imagination. If we were to rank the least penalty killers right now, could have Marner and Hyman high up there. I think I'd have Engvall and Mikheyev above Felino at this point. Maybe he comes in to replace 100%. Kerfoot, but as much as Kerfoot's frustrated me at five on five, I really love Kerfoot on the penalty kill. So if, if I get that it gives them extra top options four. in the PK, but I just think it's something that it's getting super overrated. If Kerfoot's in their top four for forwards on the PK, or sorry, if Felino's in their top four for forwards on the PK, I would be floored. Other than if they were like, you know what, like Marner, Hyman, we're going to rest you guys a little bit before we go into the playoffs. But for any other reason other than that, I'd be floored. I don't know. Why really else would see they trade as... for him, though? They must see him as someone that they're going to use in I... those kind of situations. I think they're definitely going to use him five on five to close out games and close out periods. And give themselves a little bit more of a look. I mean, you could actually uh, any number of combinations you could, you could throw him with. I'd actually, we talk about line combinations. I would love, I'd love to see them for just give it a five game run of just throw Nylander up with Matthews and Marner and let's see what's up. Like just, you could load it up. We saw, um, we saw Tavares with Mikheyev and Hyman and they looked pretty good together against Ottawa. I'd actually, say, okay, put Felino with Tavares and Hyman as a second line to that Nylander, Matthews, Marner first line. And like, off you go, right? Like, or you could put Galchinuk with Tavares and, and Hyman, and then you could keep Felino on the third line as a checker, like any number of combinations. Uh, so I think they like that versatility. I think it, the versatility and, and matchups, I think is, is huge for them. I think they're realizing that as playoff, we talked about this, before on this podcast, right? Like playoffs is about matchups. Like it truly, truly is. So I think they were sitting there going, does, um, does Taylor Hall really make our top line way more explosive than it already is? Like do Matthews and our Matthews I and see Martin, more in the second line. I still think Hall, Tavares, Nylander would have combination in theory. Yeah. And so to that, and I'm not, I don't necessarily agree with this, but I'll, I'm, if I'm trying to get into their minds a little bit, 
I think they feel pretty comfortable with what Galchinuk's done. I think they're like, you know what? We have a scorer here. Like we have a guy. They're kind of so betting on him. This brings right? us to our next topic. The Leafs added Nick Felino. No forward has left the roster yet. What's going to be great is when they make another trade tomorrow and Alex Kerfoot leaves the roster and this podcast becomes outdated within about 24 hours. But while we're still doing this and before any trades have been made, the Leafs have brought in a forward. No forward has left the roster, which means someone needs to come out of the lineup. I don't think it should be Galchanyuk. I think he's been awesome. I think he's been great without the puck and great with it to the point where I think you need to find minutes for him. Now you're asking yourself who comes out of the lineup. Well, okay, I'm going down the list and I'm, I'm kind of sorting by who's your most impactful players. Obviously that top six is going to stay the same. Engvall, Mikheyev, you seem to like defensively. They seem to be providing some value. So now we're left asking ourselves, does Joe Thornton come out of the lineup? Does Wayne Simmons come out of the lineup? Does anyone else come to mind for you? Because those are the two names that I keep coming back to. And I think, man, I, th I think one of these guys has to sit out now. Yeah, it's Joe Thornton. I mean, we've been saying it for weeks here. They have an uncomfortable conversation coming up. And it's hilarious, too, because he started the season, walked on to the first line, while Jason Spezza just tore it up on line four. Probably very confused watching Joe Thornton play 18 minutes a night on the top For what line, it's worth but... joe thornton's cycle results the five and five results living in the offensive zone with better players he's he did a great job to start the year i think right now we're starting to see what happens when you play a 41 year old basically every game for a three-month stretch he's getting tired i do wonder if joe thornton comes out of the lineup let's say for a week or two and then he gets rejuvenated and he comes back into the lineup assuming everyone's still healthy can you find a way to get Thornton in this lineup and, and Felino and, and let's say Alex Kerfoot's still on the roster. Does you don't want Wayne Simmons to come out. I think if you're leaf, if you're part of the Leafs brass, because he was kind of the big energy guy that you wanted to bring in for these playoff situations, it's getting tough. It's, it's getting to the point where a decent player is going to have to come out of the lineup. And this is why if you're going to bring in a player, like let's say Nick Felino comes into the lineup and a half decent player leaves the lineup, What's the difference in value between those two players? It's part of the reason I really wanted a difference maker to come into the lineup. I really wanted a top six legitimate Taylor Hall to come into the lineup so that even if a half decent top nine player is leaving the lineup, you're replacing it with a quality top six player. I'm kind of worried that the difference in value between Nick Felino and a Joe Thornton at five on five, is it as stark as we're as, we're, as, as a first and two fourth round picks? I'm not sure if it is. I don't know if it's as stark as the first and two fourths, but I'll say this on the price. Cause I, we hadn't talked about this too much. The price is borderline irrelevant to me. And it's not to say they should like go nuts and just blow all their draft picks, but like they're, they are true contenders this year. This is the first time like going into a deadline that I can remember since 2004 where I'm like, buckle up absolutely you are buying no questions asked and not buying with a caveat not oh we just traded a first for nick felino but do you know like we need to make the playoffs and win around for it to be worth it kind of thing like they're making the playoffs like they're going on a run they need guys like they get to the final four and nick felino plays a notable role he's worth it right so the the price that's just to me, it's just the price of doing business to some degree. Like other teams were interested. Other teams were willing to give up a first. You've kind of identified them as a guy. Like you're just, you're just trying to win. 
it doesn't mean you go absolutely insane, but they didn't give up anything off their roster. They didn't give up anything in their organization that is close to being ready, if not ready and waiting in the minors. And it's a first round pick in a year that's totally wild. Like, I don't think it's going to be a true first, first round, round pick. picks in the twenties. Aren't that valuable? No. So honestly, the, the first round pick doesn't bother me. The draft doesn't bother me. I'm kind of fired up on the other end. I'm like, Man, and there's never people listening to this, I'm sure, that have been, you know, reading along the years or we've interacted along the years. Like this organization and this team has sucked for so long. And here they are, and they're legitimately good. Like they're legitimately a contender. They're the only team in their division, in my opinion, that is a top 10 team in this NHL, in this league. Like, I don't think a single other team in this Canadian division can truly say that they're top 10 in this league. I think there's a number of paper times. I don't know. I think that the team who has a better goal differential and scoring chance differential than them at five on five, I'm a bit worried about that team. And it's the Montreal Canadiens who could be adding Cole Caulfield in the near future, who, by the way, are also losing Victor Mete and going to add Sherratt, who's going to make them worse. That has extreme Carl Alsner ahead of Nate Schmidt vibes to me. It's a side note, but. If Caulfield comes in and blacks out uh, and he's lights out, 100% game changer because the Habs are a good team at five on five. But honestly, the Leafs should not be scared about the Habs. The Leafs are way more talented. I mean, I don't think the Habs have a single forward who's like legitimately better than the Leafs top four, like the big four up top. And I know that Tyler Toffoli is having a really good season. And I really like Brendan Gallagher. So if you wanted to say that Brendan Gallagher was better than like Neil Neilander or even Tavares, I could take that argument. I'm not saying I it's, agree, but I can it take sounds it. crazy to say, but Gallagher on five is such an incredible player yeah. and Gallagher on the power play is next to useless. So yeah. that, that's one of the weird parts about evaluating him is that at five on five, dude tilts the ice like crazy against the top players, 60, 70% expected goals, despite facing the toughest minutes in the league. So that has huge value. But when he's on the power play and he can't convert on any of his chances, it's one of those things where it's, okay, maybe don't play Brendan Gallagher on your power play, but use him as much as you can at 5-on-5 because he's an elite talent there. Yeah, and you're starting games with Jake Allen and that letting in wraparounds for Matthews, and it's just, I don't know. Their goaltending isn't that good. I know they're good at 5-on-5. They're not explosive offensively. I don't think they're a good match for the Like I think the Leafs are a really tough matchup for them because of all the firepower that they have. I don't think the Habs results have not been great on the whole. And I think part of that is true. Just like, yes, they do a great job cycling and, and controlling the puck, but they, they truly lack elite talent. And it's really, really And I think hard that's why win. Cole Caulfield scares me the most yeah. is because if he brings you that legitimate 30 plus goal upside of a scorer and on the power play, particularly from the left side of the ice, from that left uh, top of the left circle, if he's ripping one-timers off passes from Nick Suzuki, uh-oh, is this something that could actually be repeatable yes. over a large sample thing that's going to score a lot of goals? So for, for just that, that's kind season, of the biggest though? concern for me. I do want to touch on Victor Mete real quick because the Victor Mete news I found shocking. Just I, I know that they don't value him as much as uh, a lot of t- people around the league, particularly in analytics circles like the, my Twitter timeline. But the thing about Victor Mete is that he's a phenomenal puck mover up the ice, defensively obviously struggles but alongside Shea Weber that pairing seemed to work really well because Weber shut things down defensively Mete moved the puck in the right direction and they sorted things out 
with taking those minutes when he comes back from injury, I was looking up some uh, entry denial numbers and which uh, players in the league are the best at preventing clean zone entries versus just backing up onto their goaltender and letting you carry the puck in. Ben Sherratt is the worst defense on the Canadians when it comes to allowing people cleanly into the zone. So I, I think they're going to be missing some of that dynamic skating ability from Victor Mete. And if you have Sherratt in your top four, just basically Zaitseving things, just backing up and backing up and backing up and letting talented forwards skate up the iceless speed and make plays through the middle of the ice. I think you're in trouble. I think you're in big time trouble if you're Montreal and you're valuing a Sherratt over a Mete. I don't, uh, I don't think he'll fall this far in the, in the waiver priority list, but I would, I would claim Mete if I was the Leafs. I think he would be a really nice number seven guy that they could bring in right now and, and just kind of bring him along. And there would be no pressure to kind of get him into games or anything right now, because that's, that's been, the Leafs are in such a weird spot on defense because we've talked about this and, and a little bit like now, okay, they've added Felino. like what else is there to do? They've added in Riley Nash, who I know he's going to be missing the rest of the regular season, but if he can come back and that's a huge if, cause it's not that easy to just come back for the start of the playoffs after missing a bunch of time, unless you're like Peter Forsberg and Riley Nash ain't Peter Forsberg. So the Kucherov this year. Yeah. Right. Kucherov's probably going to come back and be the best player in the league. And it's going to be very upsetting. I'm not even going to get into that topic yet, but so, you know, that aside, like, regular Riley Nash in playoff form is a great fit on this team as a checker, right? He adds a little bit more center depth. I don't think they love Pierre Engvall at, at center. Cause you, I'm sure you've seen it. His ice time has peaks and valleys. Like it's still dips low at times. You can see at times when Keith is just like enough of this guy for tonight. Like you can take a seat. I have those moments too. And I'm grading him. There are some yep. nights where Engvall is skating with a puck and he's actually connecting on passes. And I go, Oh, this is something. This is a, player who can impact things in transition there are other nights where he is refusing to pass the puck and he's just cycling around the offense's own and literally hitting his own teammates with shots because they're so bad and no one expects him to actually shoot it from the boards so those yeah. are my frustrations with Engvall but he's such a freak of nature at 6'5 and with his skating ability that he can be disruptive as a defensive presence Mikheyev's kind of similar it's just with that high-end defense that you're getting you're giving up a lot offensively and with Riley Nash it's very similar yeah. if you look at his heat map or his, his five on five impacts at a Micah Blake McCurdy's hockeyviz.com or evolving wilds RAPM charts basically Riley Nash is a black hole where, fit, where, where pucks go to die when he's on the ice nothing happens which by the way if it's you're a team who has as much talent as the Leafs do, you you like having a player like that yeah. you can when you're in the third period of a game or you have the lead hey go on the ice you know, take away odd man rushes. When you have the puck, just cycle it into oblivion in the offense. We don't care if you score. It's kind of the Frederick Gauthier role where yeah, you know what you are. You're not there to score. <laughs> hey, I thought Frederick Gauthier was decent at it towards the end there, but you know me, I'm the Frederick Gauthier truther. Do you think Riley yeah. Nash actually gets minutes in the playoffs? Cause I'm not sure if he displaces anyone in the lineup. I'm trying to think where he would play. I, I think injuries happen. I think the starting 12 is so fluid. i I am sure that guys are going to get injured or play poorly or whatever. So, yeah, I think you can usually they, pencil in one guy per round, more or less. Yep. So I I think for sure, I think if he comes back and he's healthy, like he's going to get in. I think they had every intention of getting him into games. I don't think it was it was not the like 4D chess that some are making it out to be in terms of cap gymnastics. It was really they added him without like impacting any of their available cap space to date. Right. 
that's why they still had to go to the lengths that they did to fit in Felino's money. It didn't open up like seven and a half million the way people were talking about it. It's not the way LTI works. I'm not going to get into a whole thing on that, but that, yeah, people were wrong on that. I think they wanted Riley Nash. They fully it's expect him to play. It's not free cap space, but it yeah. helps. It does. It's, it's it not does. hurtful. Well, they brought him in and it didn't impact, you know, their cap, right? Like, cause he just went right to L like he just, he's on long-term injured reserve. So when they brought his money in, it just like, it, it's essentially by, it's like a free ad essentially, which is still very significant. It wasn't that like our on Twitter much. when they, when they first acquired him was hilarious. Just kind of watching everyone try to figure it out. And Brandon yeah. Pridham must've been laughing behind the scenes. Just going, guys, I've, I've done all the calculations. Don't worry. But yeah, it took a while for the rest of us to finally catch up to what he was doing. Do so, you mind if I take this in a different direction real quick? So one, sure. So Riley Nash, Nick Felino, Zach Bogosian, Wayne Simmons, and Kyle Clifford was traded for last year. We could throw Jake Muzzin into that, but I think Jake Muzzin's an actual really, really good player. I don't think he fits that criteria. I think I'm Nick Foligno is a really good player too, though. In mm, fairness. Jake Muzzin's a top pairing defenseman. Yeah, yeah. he's not what, Jake Muzzin six good, guy. but Foligno is yeah. legitimately good. Yeah, Foligno's better than the other guys I mentioned. That's yeah. fair. That, thank you for calling me on that. But you can see how these all kind of fit a certain type of player, right? And it's that quote-unquote gritty, tough to play against. You know, we're, we had size, we have toughness, we're ready for the playoffs. I never thought that Kyle Dubas would err too much on the size, on the side. Oh, that's funny that I said size instead of side. But that he erred on the side of grit over skill, you know, acquiring a Nick Felito instead of a Taylor Hall. But I do wonder if in attempt to balance things, because they have so much high-end talent offensively, Tavares Marner, Matthews Nylander, Riley, I wonder if they're overcompensating a little bit by trying to acquire too much of the other thing instead of just leaning into their strengths. We see this sometimes with the best teams in sports when they try to do something new. I'm thinking of the Phoenix Suns in basketball when they were under Mike D'Antoni, when they tried to go pace and space and we're just going to run up and down the floor. And then it didn't work in the playoffs, so they acquired Shaq so that he could guard Tim Duncan. And it just completely destroyed what they were going for. It totally killed the entire essence of that team, which was speed and shooting and offense. I do wonder if we're going a bit too far in the other direction here, if the Leafs just kind of acquired their Shaq instead of acquiring another elite three-point shooter. I think I think the Dubas part about like like skill and speed is somewhat overrated uh just on the whole right if you look at the marley's teams like his marley's team that won we know rich clune was on it mason marchment played a significant role on that team added scott like, sabrin this year and a goalie in his first game right like they he's always had grinders if you go back to his early early quotes um when he first got hired with the Sioux and he's learned and evolved since then as naturally anyone would, but he talks about, you know, adding those kinds of things. Like we're going to be a tough team. Um, he had Nick Ritchie on that team. He of course also sold the farm for Jack Campbell, which was wild. He drafted uh, Darnell. Nurse. Hey, he like, knew, he knew well in advance that Jack Campbell was going to be his guys <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> so so I don't know. I think it's always been a little bit of an overblown storyline. And I also think it's funny too. I was thinking about this when we were uh, leading up to this podcast, but the thing that I remember hearing a lot over the past few years, the least built up, it was like, it was like draft 
draft high end talent all the time, like always look to add talent and then you can fill out the need for size and grit and all these intangibles and whatever else you want to call it when you're done. Well, the Leafs are done and now he's adding those things in. Right. Like are the Leafs done though? Are are you ever truly done adding talent to a roster? No, they're, they're done in the sense that like their main core pieces are all there. Like they're all of, all the significant places in the lineup are, are filled. Right. And especially after the TJ Brody acquisition, that was the biggest one that they were looking for for years. Right. So, so now it's like, okay, so he's doing this thing, but for years I was told like, okay, well you trade for them when the time's right. I'm like, well, if this isn't the time, I don't know when the time is then guys, like, like he he's going for it. And I think he's also learned a little bit too. So I know that we always like to talk about, um, and when I say we, I generally mean like the Twitter hockey community, which is something in and of itself, right? But those like speed it's definitely and skill, something, but right. <laughs> and it's the speed and skill that that people talk about. And for whatever reasons, the Le- and, and a number of them, to be clear, that the Leafs haven't gone anywhere in the playoffs. And I think he's sat there and been like, we we need to try something a little bit different here. We maybe can't go and be. Um, as one dimensional as we have been for the past few years. And I'll continue to beat this drum. Like last year after Sheldon Keefe was hired a number of times, he talked about like the lack of maturity with the team, right? We would see them like they would get down in games and they would essentially implode. I'm sure you remember that writing report. Big time momentum swings where you could just see that they look dejected. Yeah. And now we get like none of them essentially right like even when they get down it's like ottawa came back yesterday and i shrugged i was just like that's okay and then marner the next shift matthews marner the emotional kind of reaction after the goal i love seeing stuff like that that's why i'm a fan of this sport you know you want to see teams really push back when they get punched in the mouth and and he's he's really focused on dubas being the he here of like let me add in these vets who are gonna you know, ride out these waves in the course that like this season's been essentially no drama, especially compared to the last few, right? Where it's kind of been a bit of a circus. Oh, count any of the Frederick ice. Anderson stuff. Like, yeah, the Freddie stuff aside, I, I think that's a whole different story though. There's some weird stuff going on there. So I think he's been like, you know, vets are important in this market. I need guys that can uh, make sure the highs aren't too high and make sure the lows aren't too low. And this, this team seems particularly grounded and kind of focused on where they're going and, and what they're trying to do. And I think there was a big part of that where it was just like, you know what, Felino is going to add another guy in here uh, where it's going to be like very seamless. So he adds in another leader to the group. Whereas, I don't think Taylor Hall would be getting that same sort of characterization, but at the same time, Taylor Hall could, he might produce at a point in. per game in the playoffs, you yes. know, <laughs> like so that is big time value. That was the, what I was going to say. He could come in and throw up like 30 points in 25 games. And you could be like, Holy smokes, this guy's fired up to be out of Buffalo. So I guess that's kind of the holdup, but you know, failing, failing Taylor Hall, I like the Felino acquisition a lot. I really like that they're going all in. I would have been pissed if they did absolutely nothing. And here's the thing. As much as I'm disappointed that the guy who was at the very top of my list didn't join the team that I've been cheering for for my entire life, Nick Felino was number two on that list. 
And the reason he was number two on the list is everything we've mentioned in this podcast, versatility, ability to play up and down the lineup. I could see him alongside Matthews Marner late in a game where they're holding on to a lead. I could see him alongside DeVar's Nylander and that line actually working because Felino provides some defensive elements that let's say Keith hasn't trusted that line very much against the other team's best players with someone like a Felino there, or we've seen Hyman alongside Tavares. Hyman McKay have worked really well. Tavares and two yeah. puck retrievers. That's a good line combination. So Felino gives you options. And I do like that. And I think at five on five, he's an extremely valuable player defensively. Offensively, I am going to have nights where I'm really frustrated where Felino's wide open in the slot and he whiffs on a one-timer. And I, I slap myself in the face and go, would Taylor Hall have missed on that? And you're going to tell me yes, because Taylor Hall is an overrated shooter. He's Two never goals. been a good shooter. <laughs> Taylor no, Hall is in the playoffs and they're scoring, player and a If they're scoring one or two goals in the playoffs and they lose, we're going to sit here and be like, yeah, I guess they should have got Hall. I'd like to think yeah, that would happen. That's though. the thing. Why did they lose to Columbus last year? Did they lose to Columbus last year? Because they didn't have enough grit. No, they didn't have enough goals last year. Of all things, they couldn't score last season. So the interesting thing with, with Taylor that, Hall. Uh, and I'll say, sorry, you. I was just going to quickly first. wrap up Taylor Hall and say that he is an elite transition player. He's an elite passer. He is not an elite shooter, folks. He's a below average shooter. But you take the transition play and the passing and you combine it with below average shooting, you still have an elite offensive player. For my money, if you look at all the ways that we go about player evaluation, my favorite ways of doing it statistically, you know, exits, entries, passes after gaining the zone, creating high danger scoring chances. I thought Taylor Hall did that at a very high level this year, despite none of those chances actually going into the net. But John Tavares is at a similar phenomenon where every chance he takes from the middle of the slot, for some reason, the pucks don't want to go in. That doesn't mean they won't go in in the future. It just means you've had bad luck in the past. But sorry, say what you wanted to say. I've, I've been ranting about Taylor Hall this entire podcast. All I was going to say on the offensive note for Felino is he does do a few things that would have helped him in that kind of series or like any of those other series against Boston. He gets inside, right? He's he's a guy that will drive the net. He's a guy who will get pucks into the, like the house. He will create chaos in the house. He will create space with the way he uses his body and four checks. He's been at times a unique weapon in like the bumper or net front role on the power play over his career. So yeah, when Columbus had that Sam Gagne power play rolling, he was an effective yeah. piece on it, which I always found interesting. That was, must've been the 73 point year, right? Uh, no, I think it was a Maybe little was bit after, after, but that. he was still a really good um, like player that year. Like he's, he's been a legitimately like good offensive player. Definitely not going to give you what Taylor Hall did. So, you know, that hey, point put him in the bumper but... instead of Joe Thornton on PP two. Maybe, maybe this trade is worth it alone because we get Joe Thornton out of the bumper spot on PP two. I think Joe Thornton's <laughs> out of the lineup, but now, so if we look at the forwards, I, I guess we have to say the forwards are done, right? Like they're not possibly adding another forward. Could you imagine if Monday at 3.10 p.m. it comes in that somehow the Leafs have found a way to squeak Taylor Hall under the cap? How, how great would Taylor that Hall be? Taylor Hall out of your mind, man. You need to just get over it. Like, hard I've been staring it. at the ceiling late at night, just picturing Taylor Hall threading <laughs> passes to Tavares and Nylander, and That's it's all for, for not. A whole host of reasons I'm not going to get into so the PG podcast. I spent most say... nights last year thinking about Tyson Berry, okay? So it's it's at least a much better image in my head. I, I will say, yeah, that's a nightmare. That is a legitimate nightmare. But I will say this. I've seen a lot of people talk about trading Kerfoot because of his cap hit. I would not trade Kerfoot 
unless there's unless you're also like getting back another player that's like actually good i wouldn't just trade kerfoot to get rid of his cap hit right now you can do that in the off season he's still a good player he's still in their but top you could 12 use forwards. that cap space you could yeah. trade him and use that cap space on a defenseman or a goaltender to help you in this playoff run yeah if they do that fine but like i just wouldn't like clear his cap hit just to like get a draft pick or whatever now like there's no point in doing that now like he's still in your top 12 forwards he could still help your team for a playoff run so if you're going to clear his cap and in some form or fashion acquire a player because of that great but like there's no point of just clearing his cap hit right now he still helps you so they should keep him for that reason even if he is an overpaid fourth line center right now on the team it cap hits don't matter in the playoffs it's besides the point. So I kind of think that they're, I'd like to think that they're done at forward. They seem to like what Galchenyuk has done. They seem to be okay to ride with him. Obviously they just brought in Felino. Hopefully Nylander's back soon. Uh, and, you know, a-okay from everything that happened with the whole COVID situation. And then uh, hopefully Riley Nash gets back at some point. On defense, we talked about claiming Mete because I think he would be uh, just a really nice fit. I really stumble on the defense because there's a number of guys that I think would be great to bring in, but I would find it really hard to go to anyone in their top six right now and be like, you're going to take a seat. And that's where I'm worried. I hear Jamie Alexiak's name and for what it's worth, I like him as a player. I think yeah. despite being six foot seven, he actually does some things that I really liked last year in Dallas, carrying the puck up the ice and activating into the play and making half decent plays. Kind of like when Zach Bogosian jumps up into the play and toe drags someone, you go, wait a minute, this guy has a bit it's of skill. Shocking. But if you, but if you bring Jamie Alexiak into the lineup and Travis Dermott comes out and now your bottom pair can't move the puck, that might be a bit concerning. So I yeah. understand why you want a depth defenseman. You don't want one of these guys to get hurt. And then Martin Marincin is playing playoff minutes because even though I'm his agent, I would tell you that you can probably you do better. Know. So, right. yeah. <laughs> so Victor Mete would be nice in that sense. His cap hit is nothing. He's he can play the game a little bit. I know he doesn't have the like the veteran experience, quote unquote, that I usually want from a guy for the playoffs in particular. But I think his speed and potential ability to move up and down the lineup along with Dermot kind of gives you some options without the pressure of taking anyone out in your top six, which in general has been working. So failing that, I find it really hard for them to find a defenseman. That, like, yeah, Victor Mete, it's crazy when you think about the fact that teams are going to be giving up big-time assets on Monday to add defensemen who are worse than Victor Mete. And if he clears waivers, I'm going to be floored. I hope someone picks no him chance. up. 31 NHL no teams could use Victor Mete. A 22-year-old yeah. who looks like, what, a number four defenseman, more or less, at even strength. But any guy, anyone who's... And he's moved the puck at an elite level at age 22 at the NHL level. Yeah, there are flaws in his game, but... I like taking bets on those types of players, you know, kind of like Sam Gerrard. When I saw his elite puck moving ability and the rest of his game was a bit, Ooh, I'm not sure if this is going to work out. Guess what? It all worked out because he had the talent to move the puck. And that's the hardest part of being a defenseman of the modern game. So sign me up for Victor Mete. If I'm the GM of literally any NHL team right now. And you brought up goaltending and none of us can know this really other than the Leafs, right? Like we don't know what's up with Freddie and the like fact I that said, they've been if, so shy about it, even when we think about the way that they've treated injuries in the past, they've been very open and upfront about things, despite the fact that you don't really need to be in this league. You can call anything an upper body or lower body injury, and no one will ask any questions. They've been pretty upfront about everything. So the fact that they haven't with this Anderson situation makes me think that it, it could be something that they don't 
feel super confident in heading into the playoffs. So if you can acquire a goaltender in the next 24 hours, I think you should do it. But again, all these things we say on the podcast are going to be super outdated. When Victor Mete clears waivers at noon, the Leafs trade for Taylor Hall at 3.01 p.m. And uh, yeah, so all my ranting is going to be all for nothing. But before we get out of here, I have one last question for you before yeah. we, we finally get out. What are your ideal playoff lines after this last trade? Let's assume this is the last trade they make up front. Give me your perfect best case scenario, 12 forwards heading into the playoffs. So I would really like to, I would really like to continue the Gauchinuk experiment with Matthews and Marner. I think Matthews and Marner are unreal and they could definitely carry a player like Galchenyuk, who can also supplement them offensively. So I'd like to continue that line because, and the reason I say that is I would love to keep Hyman with Mikheyev and Engvall as a pure checking line. And I would love, if you can get those three together, they're so good. They've been so dominant against the other teams, even against top competition. Yeah. Late in games, he'll be on that Matthews Marner line when, I was going to say, if they're leading, if they're trailing, it doesn't matter. He'll be on it that line. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think Felino would be a really nice fit for Tavares and Nylander. I think that line, I think it's okay with Galchenyuk there, but I don't really know if I trust them against like other good teams, top lines with Galchenyuk there. I think they're a little weak defensively. I think Felino supports them a little bit more and makes them a bit more of a whole unit. So that's why I would really just like to see if Galchina continues to work there, that you can kind of play it off in that sense. And then the fourth line is just like, throw your hands up. Like I, I was thinking I who's know. left. I'm Spets thinking Kerfoot, Spezza, Simmons. Is that, are those the three you go with? Thornton could that maybe would probably be the line, right? Riley Nash Kerfoot. is the fourth line center. Kerfoot, Spezza, Simmons, I guess is the group. Uh, I don't really know what you'll get from them, but Kerfoot is fast. Simmons hits people and Spezza has a bomb. What Spezza's about you? your points per 60 leader at five on five and on the power play. Just always like bringing it up because it's a fact. Uh, but here, let's, let's go with my perfect lines here. Let's, let's try Hyman on the top line for fun, just to see what the ripple effect is. So yeah. Hyman, Matthews, Marner, let's try Felino alongside Tavares and Nylander. Who does that leave with us on our third line? And I think this is why Galchenyuk you want Hyman with there. with Engvall and Mikheyev. Right? And I'm not so sure if I want him on that type of line. I might prefer Galchenyuk on a line with Spezza in, in a more sheltered offensive situation. So maybe yeah. I don't like Kerfoot on that third line. Maybe you try Felino there. What if you go Felino, Engvall, Mikheyev? That's what I was going to say. I think that's Galchenyuk, the alternative, right? Galchenyuk in the top six and Hyman in the top six. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also equally good. I think the combinations are all sorts of kind of fun. They need to definitely experiment. I'll be annoyed if they just set the lines and then they call it a day and then they just ride them into the playoffs. Kudos to Galchenyuk for being someone who we legitimately think, damn, we need to find a way to get this guy, if not on the top line or the second line. He needs to be playing with Spezza. Like, he's too good yeah. to not get him minutes. He's been so effective, not just as a transporter in the neutral zone, those fancy little plays on the entry before making a through-the-legs pass. It's the effort on the forecheck. It's the effort in the back check. It's all the things he hasn't done throughout his career. He's doing them now, and I got to give him credit. He's been super effective at 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah, and honestly, like he was like his next stop was if it wasn't working here after being passed through like seven teams or whatever it was before he got to Toronto. I mean, he was going to the KHL or Sweden. 
Like I thought this was his last stop. Right? I wasn't even sure if he was going to get a shot in the Leafs. I thought he might play with the Marlies and it might not work out. And now I find out that he's signed with SKA or whatever yeah. in, in the KHL. But, but kudos to him. Like he recognized what was happening. Uh, finally takes some guys longer than others, I guess. Uh, but he's been hungry. He's had a chip on his shoulder. I mean, kudos for it. I've been kind of hesitant to kind of give this guy anything. Cause I'm like, you know what? I don't really, and even still, you know, some of the stories coming out that they rebuilt him. They didn't rebuild anything. You went to play with Marley's Leafs have the best development system in the NHL. If they taught him how to skate this summer and then he came back flying, I'd be like, okay, they actually did develop him. But like, this was a, it, it was, you know, kind of perfect opportunity for a number of, of number of reasons, but in part because the Leafs are set up in a scenario where they could facilitate it, right? Like they're good enough that they could be like, you're going to go play with John Tavares and William Nylander. And that's not even the first line on this team. Yeah. That's the way the roster is constructed. Even to start the season, having Joe Thornton in that spot kind of told you that we're okay. Having a weak link here because Matthews and Marner are so good. They can carry anyone. And if we can play a weak link on our top line, that's going to make our second and third line so much better. So I think the, the big takeaway here is that Nick Foligno coming into the lineup gives you so many options, gives you so much versatility that I'm going to be fascinated to see how this impacts Zach Hyman's usage because Nick Foligno is a very similar player to Hyman in that he is uh, relentless on the forecheck. He's not someone that other teams like going up against defensively, you know, in tight spaces. He's not the same offensive player as Hyman, which sounds weird to say out loud, but Hyman's become a great puck carrier over the last year. Or so his really? entries and exits and wheeling around the offensive zone before BM one-on-one and driving to the net. I don't know who this Zach Hyman is, but I'm, I'm, I know, I guess he realizes he's in a contract year. He wants that money uh, <laughs> with Nick Foligno. I just, it, oh, it, it makes this line, the, the top nine on the Leafs heading into the playoffs. You could move names around and still end up with three good lines. I think they're going to be moving names around over the next month or so to see what they have. I'm fascinated to see what it is, because even though it's not Taylor Hall, which is what I really wanted, Nick Foligno is a versatile piece who gives you options in your top nine. And it just, it, I have to say this, it breaks my heart that, you know, he can't come back with, with, you know, put the leaf Jersey on hometown boy, the full stadium, the Leafs in first. I mean, it would be just as a fan of the game, like it would be unreal, right? Like he's coming out when all the stuff Nick Foligno does, you know, when he drops like, the gloves or when he delivers a big hit or when there's momentum swing, the ovation that, that he would no get, fans. the ovation Wayne Simmons would be getting every time he touched the ice. It wouldn't even matter if he falls down, which he does half the time. The ovations Joe Thornton would be getting like high five moment be, with Hyman. What would that have been right? like with fans in the arena? What, oh, it would be it's unfortunate. Awesome. This, I get it. COVID sucks and this entire, the last year or two yeah. have been awful, but maybe with the Nick Felino type, because there are no fans in the building to provide that extra energy. We've mentioned before how fights are up this year because yeah. Kevin BX's theory is that you're trying to manufacture energy. You have to. Nick Felino can manufacture energy and play effective hockey. I know with, the, with some of these Leafs, you know, Wayne Simmons manufactures energy, but he's a liability at five on five. He might even be a liability on the power play. Nick Felino's yeah. not. So that's definitely something to consider. And my closing All right, note. Let's get out Leaf, of here. My closing note is just simply enjoy this a little bit, Lee fans. Like honestly, if you've been around the 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 team for more than like since they've drafted Austin Matthews, you've seen a lot of crap. You've seen this team suck for a long time. They're good now. Like they're legitimately good. And they're true buyers at the deadline for the first time since 2004. 
And even if you really like Taylor Hall, which I totally get, if you still can't take a moment to enjoy this and just say, hey, this is a really good team that's going for it, rightfully so. I mean, honestly, like, what are we doing here as fans? Like, you, you have to enjoy it a little bit. You tell me they weren't buyers when they gave up a second round pick for Thomas Pukanich. They Ryan were buyers, Moore. but not real ones. Like Jake Muzzin was an addition for the deadline. They got their business done a bit earlier that year. But I, I hear but you. He was signed you know, for this the is year a after. Year. This is like a true yeah. like. I don't even care if they re-sign Felino. Like this guy better be sick in the playoffs, and that's all I care about. Yeah, if they do re-sign him, it would probably be after the expansion draft, and it's one of those wink, wink, nudge, nudge deals. Personally, oh, yeah. I'm I'm not sure if I'd expect him to be back. I think he's someone that in his thirties would probably get overpaid in free agency. And I wouldn't want any part of that next contract, but yeah. Hey, we live in a world where David Savard and Nick Felino fetch you what two first round picks, multiple yep. fourth round picks. Good for Columbus. And Taylor Hall is going to go to Boston for a second round. Pick. Really looking forward to this universe that we're heading into over the next <laughs> couple. It is well, 2021 baby. Enjoy it. Lee fans. Enjoy it. <laughs> Try to enjoy it, even though I know most with me and think, ah, what could have been Taylor Hall, Tavares, Nylander? I guess I'll live with Felino, Tavares, Nylander. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Watch Taylor Hall completely implode in his next destiny. Go for like zero points in 15 games. And Nick Felino's a point per game beast in the playoffs. We'll see. We'll see what happens. The Leafs. (laughs) You've been listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. For news, opinion, and analysis, make sure to go to mapleleafshotstove.com and join the conversation.